0: Isaac Quainall, Tom Stewart. Now that KO has 4K, people will see every detail. I better wash my hair. Oh, I'll book in a spray tan. Maybe a manicure? I'm shining up my tats. Experience amazing detail with 4K, now on KO.
1: Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. My name is Dave Bujelli, that is Harmon Dial, Grady Sass is our man at the controls, and our intern is Madison Buckingham. And I have, I'm taking this off right now because we are seconds into the show, and I clicked it about 10 times before I even got through that intro, because I'm, I'm a big fidgeter, like if I, and people have pointed this out many times in the chat before, I always have something in my hand, like I always got something, a pen usually. <laughs> is what I have in my head. Um, so yeah, it's uh it's good. I, I got I got my little pen and paper here. It's a good start. It's a good start. Uh, a lot of people in the chat already. Really nice. Really nice to see. We're gonna get a lot of people because uh it's gonna be a good show. It's gonna be a good show. We got a lot to talk about. Canucks sit alone at first place in the NHL. And we're gonna talk about that. In a matter of moments, but first I need to tell you that Canucks Conversation is brought to you by the 2023 Toyota BZ4X. The BZ4X is Toyota's brand new all-electric SUV that is designed to go the distance for you and your family. The BZ4X is packed with Toyota's coolest tech, but it still has that trusty SUV feel you know and love. And even though it's electric, it's capable of effortlessly conquering any terrain. Whether it's rain, snow, mud, or your friend's questionable post-game recap, the BZ4X will get you through. And of course, we are coming to you from the iconic Wall Center in downtown Vancouver. Looking for your next meeting space? Contact the Wall Center for all your event needs at sales at wallcenter.com. Tell you what, there's some event here today. You see all the people coming in and out in suits? That grand ballroom downstairs is beautiful. Anyways, it's nice to be out of the Wall Center right now. Took a remote episode yesterday. We'll probably do the same tomorrow because it is Canucks game day. And yesterday it was a Canucks game day. And the Canucks won that game And harm. By a score of three to two, the Canucks take down the Carolina Hurricanes and are now alone at the top of the NHL standings. Future uh Cup preview, cup, Stanley Cup final preview coming up with uh, Vancouver-Boston tomorrow.
2: No, I don't think Boston get gets that far. I think no matter how high they finish in the standings, I just don't think you can get you can get deep in the playoffs with I know Charlie Coyle's had a good year, but Coyle is not a one C and I don't that centered up is fine for the regular season, but I think you can get exposed in the playoffs. I think Florida is the team to beat in the Eastern conference when, when you actually get into the playoffs
1: and they have beat Florida. So there you go. There's your cup preview right there. Uh, you see Pospisil last night on Marshall. Oh yeah. Put him in the hockey hall of fame. <laughs> like that, that should be your spot in the hockey hall of fame is just get the stick, get the gloves that he had. And for those that don't know, I don't think we have a clip cause I didn't, tell Grady we were gonna bring this up because I didn't know we would um Pospisil on the flames of course like cross check grab, like I don't even know how he made contact with him but he hit Marshawn hard for digging at Jacob Markstrom's glove glove after the whistle and hey it was like a charge it was came charge. In. <laughs> it wasn't a clean play but it was a good play in my books
2: he got a what a five minute major
1: yeah game is conduct
2: I'll say this I bet there are a lot of players around the NHL that. Loved seeing that too. I think it's one of those things where if he
1: got fined, they'd be like, okay, we're all going to chip in and pay for the fine.
2: Yeah, especially because in doing the Athletics player poll about who in the NHL has the most punchable face, Brad Marchand certainly got votes.
1: And Pospisil, I know you can't say, Pospisil certainly voted for Marchand and then acted <laughs> on it. He's like, you know, I was talking to that kid from the Athletic. He brought up a good point. I can go punch people in the face if I really because want to. Because he slashes the goal. Oh, here we he go. To get
2: to this loose puck.
1: He's looking here he for comes... a rebound there's no oh. arm up by the official behind the goal line and then this happens and yeah they're still trying to sort out the penalty minutes down below right, us that's here. enough the bruins have to have accent of like the, the boston announcers i love it I,
2: I don't like the broadcast personally
1: well that's fair i yeah i just love that they have the thick i think every every radio broadcast should have like You know, this season in the NFL, there was uh, that guy, Tommy DeVito, who was like the third string quarterback for the Giants. Italian guy lived in New York, lived with his mom, you know, talked about how his laundry got done. He had chicken cutlets waiting for him when he got home all the time. You know, every every single team should have like a stereotype as either a player or the broadcaster in Boston. It's the broadcaster. And with New York, it was the third string quarterback.
0: Jack Edwards, I must say, is losing his fastball. There's just something not quite right with the way he calls games these days. I actually kind of feel bad for him, if you can believe that, given the rivalry between the Canucks and the Bruins. But if you listen to one of those Nesson games, oof, it is a tough listen on the ears.
1: I haven't listened in a while. Like, I know he's always been a homer, but like, you know, One guy I talked to a lot about him was Jack Rathbone. Like Jack Rathbone and every kid in Boston, like Jack told me, he's like, he's like, I know he's not loved nationally, but like every kid in Boston loves that guy. Like, yeah, of course, love that broadcast. Uh, Yeah. Like, that's fine. I like it. And I'm just saying like, you know, there should be a stereotype in every market. Like the Canucks should get a third string goaltender who just shows up in Lululemon
2: at every game. (laughs) The classic Jack Edwards call is... A fight's happening and it's 50-50, there's no acknowledgement of the other yeah, guy's punches. Yeah, yeah, yes. And yes. it's like, oh, there He's goes Lucic him. over the top. Oh, takes him down. And it's like you're watching the play, and it's like a 50-50 scrap might even be one that the Bruins <laughs> player is losing.
0: Yes. Yeah, no bias at all. Eh? Yeah. But but that is the job. Like they are regional broadcasters, right? It would be a different thing if they're national. They gotta they gotta pander to the market. Now, if you're an opposing team and you hear some of the stuff that's coming out. Of Jack Edwards' mouth, you're gonna shake your head. But uh, go watch the Jack Edwards compilations on YouTube if you uh, want to kind of hear more what we're talking about there. It's uh, well, he's he's a homer. Let's just
1: Canucks third string goalie could show up in like Chelsea boots. I don't know Arc- what Arc- you are going Arc- ter- with Arc- this. Arc'teryx jacket. <laughs> just every every market should have a stereotype, either working for the team or playing for the team. And I'm trying to think of the biggest Canucks Vancouver Twitter stereotype.
2: is. The biggest stereotype no
1: but yeah okay so there should be like a player who's very active on canucks twitter while he's playing like if linus carlson fired up a twitter account and was live tweeting the games from the press box that'd be fantastic content
2: would it though is he that interesting
1: (laughs) i if he's on canucks twitter he'd have to be okay Let's move on here. Let's talk about the actual game. Uh, this segment of our show is brought to you by World Rugby Sevens. HSBC World Rugby Sevens is Western Canada's largest sporting event. This year is the ninth time the event has visited Vancouver as part of the World Rugby Sevens series. Tickets are on sale now at VanSevens.com, 7scom starting from just $40 per day. And if you want to go, we've got a four-pack of tickets for the entire weekend to give away. Text hashtag sevens, that's S-E-V-E-N-S, to 778-402-9680 for your chance to win. We will be giving away a four-pack each week until the event, which, of course, takes place on February 23rd to 25th at BC Place. Text hashtag sevens to 778-402-9680. Okay, Canucks win 3-2 last night. The subject of the tune-up, the inaugural version of the tune-up, was Ilya Mikheyev, and I highlighted this on Twitter, and you and I were talking off-air about it as well. Really liked his play in the first period. Really seemed to be moving his feet, which just led to a lot of success all over the ice. Still want to see some finishing. He had some chances that obviously he didn't finish, but really moving his feet and really creating a lot on the ice on that line with Elias Lindholm and Elias Pettersson, which we should mention was also playing some matchup minutes most of that game.
2: Absolutely. I'm never too worried about the offensive aspect with, make yes you want some production because he's playing in a top six role but step one has been just be not- noticeable and impactful at helping your line control play spend more time in the offensive zone and make excelled in that department especially coming out of the gate in the first period he, he drew a penalty he had a slick offensive zone entry with control where he uh, made a dangle towards the middle, got a pretty good chance from the high slot area. He was keeping plays alive in the offensive zone by winning loose puck races, which he hasn't done often. And most importantly, there have been points earlier in the season when Mikhail will get the puck in the offensive zone and the play will just die or he'll make an errant pass and the Canucks lose their offensive zone control. There were none of those plays. Plus, there was a third period shift where I mean, the Canes were all over the Canucks in the third period. They were creating a lot of, I think, quality rush looks throughout the entire game. But there was a great play where Mikhail on the back check, stripped Teravine of the puck, took away a pretty dangerous chance. So to see his defensive impact, how he was retrieving pucks, um, able to make the next play instead of being instead of killing plays... Uh, it was definitely a, a step uh, in the right direction, and I'm sure we're gonna we're gonna talk about Lindholm. One aspect of Lindholm's performance that is worth keeping in mind as we talk about the line as a whole is that Elias Pettersson had an off night at five and five. So for Mikhaev and Lindholm to both look impactful, to have pretty decent performances despite the best player on that line, in Elias Pettersson looking off, I thought for decent chunks of that game, I think that's encouraging.
1: Okay, so I'm being told now in the YouTube live chat, people just missed the first 10 minutes of the show. We never went live on YouTube. um, So apologies to the people that were waiting. And people are people missed my great bit about a stereotype player. Folks, it'll be on the Grady. It'll be on the podcast, right? Yeah, it was live and then it stopped. Okay, okay. So, folks, you got to go back. Listen, if you're on the YouTube live show right now, you go back when the podcast comes out. It's wherever you get your podcast. Go find it. My bit about, and maybe it wasn't as good as I thought. I thought it was a great bit. Just came up with it. Uh, about a stereotype player, because we were talking about announcers. I don't know how I got onto the topic, but I was thinking there should be like a third string goalie for the Canucks that shows up in an Arc'teryx jacket and Chelsea boots. Blundstones, that's what they wear, right? Or vessies. I got my vessies on right now. Anyways, it was good. You should go back and listen to it. But yes, right now we are talking about Ilya Mikheyev improving his game. And one thing you mentioned, Harm, is Elias Pettersson having an off night. Still, though, they were still getting those matchup minutes and his line mates for the first time this season, I think is safe to say, maybe I'm exaggerating, kind of carried the load for him last night.
2: Definitely. They still spent a decent chunk of their shifts in the offensive zone. Uh, They had looks and looking at Lindholm's game, of course, I'm sure we're going to dive into the two power play goals he had, but he also had a lot of plays, I thought, were. I'm going to call them almost scoring chances where they were just off the mark. But the thing to take away from that is that, okay, Lindholm's getting to the right spots. The execution is just a little bit off. And a lot of those plays would normally be high danger looks. And some of those would obviously convert into goals down the line. For instance, really early in the first period, Patterson had the puck behind the net. Lindholm's driving there. Great job by Lindholm to make the read and get to the open ice. Pedersen's pass was just off the mark. Otherwise that's a chance right on the doorstep. Uh, there was on the power play right before Lindholm scored one of his tip goals, Besser made a gorgeous pass. Lindholm's tip was just off the mark, but again, him being in that right spot, being available, uh, I thought was, uh, was nice to see. And then even just little things like Lind. there was one shift at five on five where the route Lindholm took as the first man in on the forecheck, yes, forced the Carolina defender to literally make a tape to tape pass to mikaev Yep, and the Canucks ultimately didn't control like the next play. Sort of, um, they weren't able to establish full possession. But most of the time, if you can do that as the F one, that's a massive win. And again, I think it was an example of being quick to close in a smart route.
1: And, and Harmon, we've. Heard this increasingly more from not only Canucks, but players around the league. We haven't heard so much from Canucks. We've heard it more from Rick Tockett when it comes to the Canucks, but how much easier it is to play the game of hockey at the highest level when you know where everybody is going to be. And that was a huge problem that Rick Tocket had with Andre Kuzmenko's game was, you've got to get in on the four check. If you're the F1, you need to be getting there. And look, we, we've had this discussion before. Andre Kuzmenko's never going to be a phenomenal four checker at the NHL level, but moving your feet, taking the right route, It pays dividends, and as we saw with Elias Lindholm last night, it's going to help elevate the game of guys like Ilya Mikhev, who, like you said, was the beneficiary of a tape-to-tape pass from a Carolina defenseman. And I thought that was a great point that you brought up, and we've hardly even mentioned two goals for Elias Lindholm uh, in his Vancouver Canucks debut, both deflections off of Quinn Hughes' shots. Um, Yeah, you love to see it. In a game where the Canucks only scored three goals, their new acquisition scores two of them. You absolutely love to see that if you're Jim Rutherford and the Canucks
2: especially because after that first Carolina PK where they score the shorthanded goal you're just thinking man this penalty kill which has historically been elite by Carolina I believe is top five in the NHL right now you're thinking it's going to be really tough to score on the man advantage tonight and they still find a way to get to the Canes PK pressures the puck so well and the adjustment they essentially made and Not that it's an adjustment, but I liked how Rick Tockett after the game mentioned that as you advance down the stretch, as you play more and more good teams, you're not going to get as many opportunities to just make those tic-tac-toe pretty passing plays. You're not going to be able to easily seam teams, so you need to have an effective net from presence. You need to be able to score the tip, deflection, rebound type garbage goals as well. The, for the Canucks to be able to add that now to their repertoire, which I don't think they've been as successful with this season on the man advantage, is a nice wrinkle, is a nice bonus feature to have on the man advantage because that's really the downside of when you're at Carolina and you're pressuring that aggressively at the, at the top of the zone on the flanks, the downside, the risk of that, which a power play needs to take advantage of, is that you're leaving extra space down low. The net front guy is going to have more real estate to play with. And that's for Quinn Hughes as well. Shout out to him. He deserves a lot of credit too for getting pucks through traffic. He's been so good this year. Yeah. As a lot of Canucks defensemen have been at shooting for those um, tips and, and deflections.
1: Quinn Hughes has another really strong game. Uh, Noah Juleson getting some love. I thought he was great last yeah. night too. He was another guy that look like when you look at the start of the season for Noah Juleson. It's crazy. He's even making, like, he's even making, like, stretch passes now, which, like, I know. any pass over five feet from Noah Juleson at the start of the year, you were like, oh, boy, here we go. Buckle up. But, no, he was, he's, uh, again, he is playing very, very good hockey right now. Um, We'll get to whatever else we have about the game. Let's not keep him waiting any longer. we got a to chat with Frank Cervelli, our guy from Daily Faceoff, who is brought to you today by our friends at Four Wins Brewing. There it is. Locally owned and operated out of Delta. Home of the Four Winds Light, Light Lager, a crisp, clean, and easy drinking beer. A beer for everyone, a perfect beer for before, after, or during the game. Ask for Four Winds Light Lager at your local liquor store or have some delivered right to your door through the online shop at fourwindsbrewing.ca. Let's bring him in. Mr. Frank Servalli joins us now. There he is. Frank, thanks for doing this. That's an Eagles uh, hoodie,
3: right? Yeah, going to Brazil. September 6th let's go nice is Jason Kelsey going to retire I think so I know he said something at the Pro Bowl that he's trying not to I just I don't know that how much he has left in him and I also don't know with how chaotic this season was whether he wants to come back yeah I, I really like his podcast he's got a good podcast. it's the number one sports podcast in the world
1: Soon to be number one sports podcast in the world. Harmon, and I were listening to the DFO rundown today and we saw that you threw, I maybe it wasn't today. We just saw the clip today. Um, We saw you throw out a ranking of the top forward groups in the West. You had the Canucks third.
3: Can you add, expand on that a little bit? Well, it's the question was, and this is the nuance in it is top to bottom. And I think if we're just focusing on, top two lines, I'd probably, I'd have a real hard time not putting the Canucks at number one. And I'm not pandering to the market or the audience. It's just, I don't know how well Vancouver's bottom six, not that it's poor or anything like that. It's it's miles improved from you know last year, for instance. But how does it stack up against, I don't know, Edmonton and pick another team, Dallas. Yep. Like Dallas has a really strong bottom six. Frank,
2: I, I wanted to ask in light you're of. You're going
3: win- non sequitur here. You're not going to beat me. You're not going to beat me up for this ranking? Well, I will. <laughs> I actually, no,
1: I won't. I think you're right because like I always criticize Nils Amon and Nils Amon's played well lately, but top to bottom. Yeah, I don't know. We've got. I'll have more questions. I'll have more questions about lineups and whatnot. But like, who would you
3: pick as a three C? Teddy Bluger or Wyatt Johnson?
1: That's where I start to have my hangups. But but but, do I take Teddy Bluger with Dakota Joshua and Connor Garland and what they've been able to create this season over Wyatt Johnson and whoever he has as his wingers? I only watch the
3: Canucks. I would yeah, say it's a totally fair question. It's it's really close. Is my point? Yeah, it is close. Yeah, and think- and the fact that you know there's such a flex of having Lindholm on the right side where when you go back it, you know i've been saying this about Lindholm for the last month really since doing a deep deep dive on his game and it's he really needs to play with quality players and he can throw up points which yeah. you you see in game 1 but then you take a look back to a few years ago and when he played with um Monaghan, and Gaudreau on the right side, like he was excellent. That was his second best season of his career. So the fact that you can flex him on the right side, you could put him at 3C, you could make him 2C, whatever it is that you want to do, that that's a huge chip for the Canucks.
2: With that Lindholm trade and how it came together, what did you hear behind the scenes of how it, how the negotiation process went, how it was closed. And specifically, I was curious about the Kuzmenko angle and all of this in terms of getting him to wave to go to Calgary.
3: The Kuzmenko part of it was huge. That was really one of the linchpins for Calgary. I think if Kuzmenko wasn't playing ball, I'm not entirely certain that this deal gets done. And mm-hmm. the reason for that is... For Calgary, he wasn't just a throw-in. For Calgary, he was much more than that as a team that needs pieces for the here and now that can help them potentially two to three years from now. And if that doesn't work out, he's a nice flippable asset. So they spent really the better part of three days trying to convince him to sign off on the no trade to basically explain to him, hey, this is our you know, scenario, this is our system. We really want you here. You're not just a guy that's on the scrap heap, even though the season has been tough for you. And they saw a real fit for him. And honestly, they're the Canucks are, like for Calgary's perspective, how many other contenders, if you're the Flames, could really offer you a piece that has that much upside from their team as part of a deal? I would say they're it. The Canucks were, you know, in their own category, which is why, even though I think they didn't want to make a trade in division for the second time this season, that that's why the Kuzmenko part set them aside.
1: Is that partly why this got done so quickly? It seems.
3: Uh, quickly is a relative term. Like the fact that they really started talking over the weekend. Um, you know, it took four days, essentially five days to really nail it down. I'd, I'd say it was kind of a, honestly, We, I wish we got a better sense of it uh, or heard some rumblings of it, but it, it kind of didn't really happen quickly.
1: I misworded that. I should say, do you think that's part of the reason why Calgary pulled the trigger in late January rather than waiting until the deadline?
3: Part of it. And also, yes, they got their price. They had set off to get a first round pick plus someone that could help them. And in the meantime, they also got from Vancouver a couple lottery tickets, a couple guys that you know may help you, may not, and it was worthy a worthy gamble in my eyes.
2: One thing that I found interesting about Jim Rutherford, how far ahead of the market he was this year with Lindholm, even as a seller last year with Bo Horvat getting that deal done in late January as well, even going back to some of his years in Pittsburgh, where he was really aggressive, really aggressive about, about being one of the first movers when it came to the trade market. Why do you think it's so important to him to be one of the first movers um, rather than making deals when most other teams are making deals closer to the deadline?
3: I don't think it's necessarily about price. I think it's making sure that you get the player that you want. And I think the jets were always a team that were in on Sean Monahan, But I think seeing Lindholm go off the board heightened their awareness. And so what I mean by that, to bring it back to Jim Rutherford is he has his sights set on a certain player. That's a, a really curated fit is what I would call it. And then you know, you can always find different ones. You can find another center. You can find a left shot defense, whatever your target is. There's always a sort of check down option, but are they as good a fit as what you had originally envisioned or intended? And so that's sort of, I think their, their, their mantra is, we know who we like. Let's strike to make sure that we get that player and also, that way we're not sort of dragged into a bidding war, not to say that, you know, I, I don't think it's fair to say that the Flames shopped the offer from um, from the Canucks. But really, it was a situation where once they started talking in a significant way, Calgary went back to three or four other teams that had expressed interest in Lindholm and basically said, this is where the rubber meets the road. If you're interested, step up, give us your best offer, and we'll go from there. And it was always kind of the Canucks as the differentiator, in part because of Kuzmenko, and in part because Vancouver was willing to pay the price because they believe in the acquisition.
1: Lindholm seems like a good fit. There was one game that we've seen now, and he certainly seemed like a good fit in that game. Frank, a couple months ago, I texted you, and you and I was just talking, I said, who is going to be the biggest target at the trade deadline? I think I asked you if it was going to be Adam Henrique or something like that. And you said, no, it's going to be Elias Lindholm. With the context you've had since I
3: texted you two, three months ago about it, do you still think that statement stands? Well, he was the number one guy on my trade targets board. And I would say that unless Jake Gensel is traded, Elias Lindholm will be the most impactful forward that's moved at this deadline.
1: Do you think the context are done? Like, with that context
3: added? No. No, I I think they're going to continue to look around. And, you know, I I think there's been some talk about uh, maybe adding a forward that can help on the forecheck. I still personally think that they're one defenseman away from really solidifying things. And I heard your little spiel about Noah Juleson and how exciting that was that he was able to complete a pass more than five (laughs) feet. But that sort of highlights to me their, their issue is like, can teams make it through to the cup final or have a chance to play for the cup with a wonky six, seven defenseman? Yeah, I think they can. I, I've, I saw the flyers in 2010, the first year I covered the team exclusively play four defensemen and their third pair guys were literally getting two minutes and seven seconds a game. It's possible. I just don't think that's the best course of action when you're likely at some point going to lose someone due to injury in the war of attrition, and you're you're going to have to call on players that, as we've mentioned a million times this year, the one of the big reasons why the Canucks are so markedly improved is they're not relying on replacement level nhl defensemen anymore they have bona fide guys in the lineup and the more you can sort of buffer that and support that the better off your team's overall chances are to win
1: you need depth you need depth in the playoffs do you have a specific target for us either one you've heard or one that you think
3: the canucks should be going after so haven't heard a specific target that the canucks have their sights set on Um, I'm just scrolling through my trade targets board here. I think someone like an Alex Carrier would be pretty good. Um, kind of checks all the boxes. Not a guy that's going to excite you in any one facet of his game. Pretty steady. Not going to be a crazy over-the-top acquisition cost. Um, that's one guy that I would look at. I would say... probably at a price point, not all that different than Sean Walker from the flyers. And Mm. then you watch Nick sealer and I brought him up before as sort of the ideal third pair guy. But I, you know, in talking to people again with the flyers today, like they were like, did you watch last night's game? Like we better resign this guy. So I think that's still their, their focus, but we'll see.
2: Overall, now that the Canucks have added Lindholm, where do you think they stack up and perhaps rank uh, compared to the best teams in the NHL when it comes to a chance of winning a Stanley Cup?
3: I think they're within the circle of five to six authentic teams that are chasing the Cup. And not to say that someone outside of that five or six can't, Catch fire because we see it every year that someone goes on a run that no one saw coming. But I think with the consistency with which they played, have played to this point, the and last night was a really good indicator of where this team's mindset is at. And you heard Rick Tockett chirping, you know, in the days leading up to the game, stay humble got to stay on the ball here in terms of not reading what people are saying about you, not buying into that and just sticking to the script. I thought, you know, a game like Tuesday night was incredibly important for that. Um, And then now the additions that they've made, like there are not very many holes on this team. And when you get to start to talking about nibbling around the edges on depth defensemen and depth forwards, that's when you know that you've not only come a long way, but you've properly positioned yourself to be in that conversation. And I think there's a huge Testament to not just the stars, but also the coaching staff and their structure and a huge tip of the cap to the management group that, as I've pointed out a few times, this, this GM of the year award should be Patrick alveen's you know, running away. And that's, not to take anything away from Jim Rutherford's role in it but this team has been the most aggressive in the NHL by a wide margin and to you know to the victor go the spoils of that because they've earned this spot that they're in
1: we were throwing it on our last show if there was a worst GM of the year award <laughs> I'm not going to make you, I'm not going to make you give out your, your Yarmulkech
3: line. And I don't even need to think.
1: I'm glad you said that. Cause that's who we started it off of. Like we, we got the bit off of Yarmo's moves in
3: Columbus and we were like, yeah, my Mike Rear is a close second. I think cause I still don't know what the sharks are doing. Okay. That's, I, I don't know if that's they're, fair to Mike Rear. though. They're tanking. No, they're not. Tell me where they've started their rebuild. Well, I mean the Eric Carlson trade. Does that count? What did like they got they got a first round pick in return, what else? It was a tough there was contract. 100 to point defenseman.
1: Yeah, they make it a 13 years Okay,
3: but what about the other guys that they traded for last summer? All right, now you're making me salary pull,
2: cap dumps. Now you're making me pull this up. I agree that the Hurdle re-signing was bad.
3: Yes, okay. That okay. wasn't Mike Greer. that was his predecessor oh, and now assistant right. GM Joe Will.
2: That's very honest of you to tell us that.
3: Well, I, cause I'm an honest guy first, but second, like if we're going to actually have a constructive debate, look at all the pieces that they have on their roster that are like, they haven't begun to tear it down yet. You know what? And guess what? Yeah. The worst part is they've got two retained salary cap transactions, uh, that are locked up for at least the next two years. Meaning if they wanted to trade hurdle or Couture, and by the way, this team has played way better since Couture has returned. If they wanted to trade one of those guys, only one of them is getting out of there with retained salary.
1: You know what? Frank on us something here. They traded for Duclaire from Florida, okay? Duclaire makes your team better. It's this conversation that we've been having in this market for years that you, you can't decide if you want to be bad or you can't decide if you want to be good. Are the sharks
3: accidentally bad? That's our nuke topic. No, they're not accidentally bad, but they're not like they still traded for Mackenzie Blackwood. And they're and,
1: and as such, I would say they're not a lock to get Macklin Celebrini or finish with the worst record as close as
3: they can, right? Like, probably. And so they've got way more tearing down to do. Frank and cooking.
1: Frank's cooking today.
3: I, I here's the other thing I would add is that at least the Columbus Blue Jackets have legit prospects. The San Jose Sharks have none. That's I mean, a really no, good that, point. Maybe not none, but Shakir Mukhamadulin, nice piece. There's a couple but they're not high end and you know at least the blue jackets have Fantilli and Yurchek and Matechuk and go down the list Sillinger uh like there's at least a couple franchise pieces there that you're like okay I can see where they're heading you you can at least kind of get it even though this year's development path has been absolute shit when when it comes to the sharks I I I just tell me their if you can tell me their plan I'll give you a medal no, you know what? I I had to look at their trade history.
1: I, they're okay, their plan. I'm sure they're gonna say, oh yeah, we're we're trying to we're trying to rebuild, but we're also trying to keep an eye on the president, be a you know Are a responsible team. You know
3: what? Do you know what their average? Riddle me this, Batman. Do you know what their <laughs> average finishes in the NHL over the last five seasons? Twenty eighth, twenty seventh. Oh, I'm so close. I like that's this. five shit years five that's half a decade how are you still this bad you know what you know what's a funny exercise
1: a fun exercise and this might piss off a few people but like how close could the Canucks have been to just being the San Jose Sharks if they didn't get Elias Pedersen and Quinn Hughes in those years like if Quinn Hughes doesn't fall to the Canucks like if uh, Quinn Hughes doesn't fall to the Canucks right because he shouldn't have in a redraft he goes like third If Queen Hughes doesn't fall to the Canucks, and it was shocking he fell to them at that spot, right? In the 2018 draft, it was shocking that he fell that far. If Queen Hughes doesn't land on the Canucks, where is this team? If they take Philip Zadina, who was the consensus pick at that spot.
3: There's a butterfly effect there. You
2: could have a field day, like. (laughs) In Greer's defense, I will say (laughs) he was only hired in the offseason of 2022.
1: That's a good point. Not much time to turn this puppy around.
2: And that situation that he walked into with that contract, with those contracts with that pipeline. I mean, I'm not saying he's done a good job by any stretch of the imagination, but I think he was probably dealt one of the worst hands in the NHL. That's fair. That's valid, buddy.
3: They have no picks and they've been trading. They've got one or two. Like look, look, look at the coyotes, how many picks they like, look at all the other teams that have been around them and how much draft capital they have. They, they barely have any compared to those teams. Look at the Montreal Canadiens. Look how many picks have, they have. But they don't even have any good players to sell. That's the worst part. There's nothing... Like, you could pick apart their roster, but no one wants them.
2: Yeah, But that that's that's that's
1: adding to the hard situation that Mike Greer found himself in was nobody wanted your guys. The one guy that maybe people wanted has this monster of a contract that you had to move in Eric Carlson. It's interesting. It's obviously we can all agree. Kekalainen's worse worse. Um, because they are trying to be good and they're just bad.
3: But well, they're bad and he's had 11 years there, 11 calendar years. They've won one round. Wow. A lot of the players are pissed at the way this season has gone on, and and especially now they're young guys are like we're well, wait like the playoffs aren't a possibility. Why am I still being healthy scratched and or sent to the minors when I'm better than yep, these guys? That's a good point. Understandably so. But you're right. Last summer the Blue Jackets traded for Provorov, signed Severson the year before that. Signed Johnny Goudreau, signed Eric Goodbranson. Branson. Like this is a team that's been trying to be good and hired Mike Babcock. Yeah, that's, that's another one. Hired Mike Babcock. I could see Harm's. No, Harms, I agree. Uh, central processing unit is a little delayed today.
2: No, he's, I, he's, I fully agree. It's a disaster in Columbus. There,
3: he, he, like he, Harm's just staring into the abyss, and you can see <laughs> him. Like, yeah, like yeah, he's like you could see him like putting it all together.
2: You're cooking
1: today, Frank. You're cooking. All right, we'll have you back next week, and we'll uh, maybe continue this little conversation. I'm sure a lot of people would rather we didn't, but uh, I think I think we're going to have to continue this right, conversation. It's fun.
3: It is. It is absolutely fun. It's like beating up on the poor kid at the playground. You can't do that every week, but for once in a while, you can do it. <laughs> can you tell us about the Coyotes? Anything with the Coyotes? Like, what's going First, on there? Something's happening. I, I is why I laid out my story the way I did yesterday, is to try and put it all on the table that you know sources indicate something's coming potentially as soon as this weekend about the future of the team and no one that i've talked to to this point can really pinpoint yeah they've got something concrete in terms of an arena development which means that this team the the clock you know it's down to its final seconds yeah i think in terms of their time in the desert
1: yeah, and we saw Marty Walsh's comments, obviously, over the All-Star break. And those were certainly some interesting comments from the NHLPA player director. Uh, Frank, good stuff as always. Thank you so much for doing this. See you guys.
2: Thanks, Frank.
1: And that was Frank Saravelli, who was brought to you by our friends at 4Wins.
2: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for
1: new
0: customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Isaac Quainall, Tom Stewart. Now that KO has 4K, people will see every detail. I better wash my hair. Oh, I'll book in a spray tan. Maybe a manicure? I'm shining up my tats. Experience amazing detail with 4K. Now on KO.
1: We gotta take a quick break here. Uh, we gotta tell you about another sponsor of ours. Fittingly, and I don't know why this wasn't the sponsor of Frank, but fittingly, we gotta tell you about Wendy's Daily Face Off Survivor Pool game. Shots on goal, goals against average, and points per game can make or break your week, but don't overlook. BPMM Wendy's Bacon Portobello Mushroom Melt. Sure, it may not help you win weekly prizes with Wendy's and the Daily Face-Off Survivor Pool Fantasy, but unlike your predictions, it never disappoints. Unlike my predictions this week, I was out on day one. So try your luck, but don't push it because the Bacon Portobello Mushroom Melt is only back for a limited time, and if you miss it, you won't get a second chance. Sign up for Daily Face-Off Survivor Pool Fantasy. Today, sponsored by Wendy's and the Wendy's app. Yes, I was out on the first day. You know what I need, Harm? A tune-up. I need the tune-up. And you're going to tell us who else needs the tune-up because this is episode two. (laughs) Can we call it episode? It's our second time doing this. The tune-up brought to you by our friends over at Mr. Loop.
2: What do you got for us today? Yeah, so honestly, not a lot to pick apart from that performance. I thought it was pretty impressive that the Canucks, especially through the first two periods, were going toe-to-toe. And in fact, I thought we were better than Carolina despite a night where Lee's Peterson wasn't probably at his best at five and five, neither was JT Miller uh, Thatcher Demko was solid, but it's not as if he was stealing the game. Yep. So for the Canucks to be outplaying Carolina again, especially through the first two periods, despite their best players, not playing to the peak of their potential, I think speaks to how much they've grown as a team. But if I had to pick up, pick apart one area where, there were a little little bit loose coming out of the All-Star break. It would probably be the number of rush chances they gave up. The Canucks didn't give up a lot of shots or chances in general, but especially even in the first two periods where overall they were playing really well, the only lapses would be when Carolina had a chance to counterattack with speed, with some numbers, and I think the that was missing was the canucks just didn't have back pressure and so as a result the f- the puck carriers for carolina had a lot of time and space to make plays and that's something that i'm sure rick Tockett is um going to be harping on 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 the team to cut down as uh they s- get set to play boston on Thursday. that was
1: one thing i noticed watching that game was the canucks were controlling it looked like the canucks were just in the driver's seat for a lot of the first 40 minutes but then out of nowhere, even the Martinook one, which wasn't technically off the rush, but it was an example of guys just not moving their feet and puck watching a little bit. Look, the Canucks played well last night against Carolina, but you know, that goal where they're on the power play, the second unit comes out. If there's one thing you don't want to do as a second unit power play, it's get scored on. And, of course we saw on that play Sam Lafferty a little bit slow getting there. I thought maybe Philip Heronik could have been uh, a little quicker but obviously horonic is expecting Lafferty to be there um, and Martin puts one past Thatcherdam go to kind of surprise the Canucks uh, when they were controlling the play for the most part and I did think just throughout that game throughout the first 40 minutes especially Canucks are controlling play and then you would just see this this you know high danger, Q4 K chances. I'd call them uh, chance come down on Thatcher Demko seemingly out of nowhere. And it was just, yeah, they were just creating a lot off the rush. Uh, so yeah, good stuff is always harm. Uh, that was the tune up brought to you by Mr. Lube, the pioneer of the no appointment warranty approved oil change. Now providing appointment free tire service and sales. Find them at one of their 16 locations across the lower mainland to find your nearest location, visit them online at Mr. Okay. Now it's time for anyone else. And from now on, you're doing these ad reads because you crushed it yesterday.
2: It's time for anyone else presented by DoorDash. It's our listeners' chance to get involved and hit us up in the YouTube live chat. And it's also our listeners' chance to get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when they download the Door- DoorDash app and enter code Nation25. Offer valid in Canada. Sub that subject to change. Terms apply. Okay,
1: as we wait for people to get their stuff into the anyone else section, we got to start here. We got to start here. I think it's the biggest story in the hockey world right now. Maybe, maybe one of them. Uh, Nolachari hit by Brendan Dillon. Over the phone hearing for Brendan Dillon uh, means the suspension is going to be under five games. Do we have the video here, Grady, for our uh, viewers on the
0: YouTube show here? Picking up speed under the puck. He's coming through that neutral zone, just trying to get by Pionk right there. And then dylan's coming forward and you can see
1: yeah you can stop it Grady.
0: head contact right off the bat coming in goes right through his head
1: all right so clearly there's head contact reminds me of the conversation we had with john scott where guys don't know what's legal and guys don't know what isn't legal and what they're allowed and not allowed to do my first reaction to this and i thought you would disagree with me we talked about it off air you agree with me my first reaction to this, and uh, credit Sportsnet Pittsburgh for that video, of course. Um, my first reaction to this hit is that you can't skate through the neutral zone with your head down for that long at the NHL level. You just can't. And I saw a lot of people out there surprised that it's being, you know, the Dylan suspension is going to be under five games. Look, I'm not here saying, oh, that shouldn't be a suspension at all. I think you should get at least one or two games. but Because it, it it was contact to the head, but I'm also... In this spot now where I'm like, okay, it like, is it an advantage now for players to like in a playoff game? Should you just skate with your head down through the neutral zone? Because if someone hits you and you're at the level of your head is at the level of their shoulder and they hit you, like, are they going to get suspended during the playoffs? Do You know what I mean? Like that, that, that's what I'm looking at here is I'm just saying like, what do you want Brendan Dillon to do? Do you want him to see a guy coming at him with his head down and say, okay, I'm not going to hit him. Like, do you want Brendan Dillon to say, okay, I, I'm I'm just going to back off and let him come in the zone?
2: Like, what do you want Brendan Dillon to do there? It's also not a play where he's trying to just blow a guy up with an open ice hit. That's a play where, where he's trying to gap up, force a dump in. That's a hockey play. And of course, he wants to be physical, stand up at the blue line as well. Yes, he needs better judgment in the sense that, okay, you got to let up a bit there. Yeah, uh, it's still a bad hit, but you're right in the sense that it's not nearly as malicious as it looks in real life. Yeah, like it look, it looks like a it looks like a
1: very bad hit. And Pimpan Strong in the chat here says brutal by Dylan. Keep your head up, but you can't take advantage of guys in vulnerable positions. This is something I was talking to you about as well, and I appreciate the comment. A vulnerable position, right? You can put yourself in vulnerable positions, and then just by playing the game of hockey, you are going to end up in vulnerable positions. Here's a good example, Harm. When a guy is three feet from the boards, and I've talked to players about this, players at this level know that you ride the guy into the boards. You don't boom push him into the boards usually. Like that's just I don't need to say it's an unwritten rule. It's just you don't commit boarding by riding a guy into the boards. You can you can finish your check, but you ride him into the boards and you you take the guy into the boards with you. You don't send him into the boards. It doesn't happen. It, it shouldn't happen. It doesn't happen, but that's an example of a guy being in a vulnerable position and the the player saying, okay, I have to hit this guy and ride him into the boards. What do you want Dylan to do there? Can Dylan go lower? No, like he doesn't leave his feet. He doesn't have his elbow out. What do you want Dylan to do? If the answer was as simple as, okay, the player's in a vulnerable position, ride him into the boards. That's one thing. But the player puts himself in a very vulnerable position by skating with his head down, through the neutral zone, which you should not do at the NHL level. And then he's put in a more vulnerable position right before the hit because he's trying to get the puck in deep and he's reaching. So he's fully extended, which usually, hey, like being fully extended like that. Yes, that is a vulnerable position. And there are lots of times in the game where you are going to find yourself in that exact vulnerable position. But when you find yourself in that spot, because you're looking down like a Tim Bits hockey player playing an intermission during Rogers Arena's games, and then you're trying to reach for the puck that you mishandled, Like you're putting yourself in that position. And of course we we don't want to see guys get hit in the head. That's not what we're saying, but there also has to be a level of responsibility on players where they say, okay, I need to have my head up in this instance. You shouldn't be skating through the neutral zone with your head down for that long. Like if you can count for more than a second or two, how long a guy has his head down, Hockey's just too fast. And we have a uh, comment here from Jesse Bremner in the Facebook chat here. Hockey happens fast. Guy was going for a regular hit and it ended up not going as intended. A one game suspension is suitable. Uh, That one from Jesse. Jesse, thank you for the comment. I just I, I all I all I keep saying to saying to myself, trying to trying to figure this out is what would the Department of Player Safety or anyone saying this should be seven games? What do you want? Brendan Dillon, who by all accounts is a clean player, a good dude. U.S. Minister's very own. What do you want him to do in this scenario? And I don't think people have the answer. I think that's where the challenge comes in. That hey, like we can say these hits aren't good for the game. I'm okay with that. I'm I'm okay if you if you want to put a a whole ban on head contact and you want to you know change up your rules and stuff. That again, go listen to the episode we had with John Scott, folks. We talked about this a lot just a few weeks ago, and I'm not going to rehash it all. But you need to figure out where the line is because right now it's blurred for players. Players don't know where the line is. And I just, I keep thinking about, okay, there has to be some personal responsibility here for Nolichari to keep his head up in that play.
2: Yeah. I I don't have much to add beyond that because when you initially sent the hit in the chat as a, let's discuss this on the show. uh, I, I thought you might be taking the opposite stance because I was in a pretty similar boat as you were where I was thinking, yeah, that's, that's a bad hit. It's going to deserve some discipline, but it's not its not something that you throw the book at a guy for.
1: This is like me running full speed into Chris Faber with my head down, and I don't know where he is. I'm running at him on a sidewalk, and all I know is I'm running toward him, and I'm in a dangerous scenario because I'm playing an NHL hockey game, okay? I'm running down the sidewalk to him now, okay? And he's just standing, bracing for impact, and I'm running full speed at him with my head down. What do I think is going to happen? If I run into him, and he knocks me over, and it hurts my head, I'm not going to be crying that Faber was the one that hit me.
0: I ran into him. He's just bigger than me, and he was ready for the contact. Especially if you're leaning over against, you know, going into the check like Achari was. And why am I wearing a blindfold running down the sidewalk? You know, a lot of questions to be asked. (laughs) Guys, when they're going down the boards like that, you got to be prepared that defensemen are going to come close off
1: yeah, he's just trying to close the gap. That's exactly exactly what you just yeah. said. Harm, like he's just trying to close the gap. Jeremy Lee, Faber should get ten games.
0: <laughs> Indefinite right. lifetime suspension from Canucks combo. Yeah,
1: I thought it was an interesting thing to bring up, though. Um, yeah, I got another anyone else. I'm, I'm
0: doing a story
2: on this. Who else are you taking shots at today? No, it's no shots. It's no <laughs> shots.
1: Linus Carlson. I asked you this before the show. Linus Carlson has been sent back down to Abbotsford. The Canucks announcing this moments before our show went live today. I asked you to guess how many times he's been called up and sent down to put a number on it, right? You guessed seven, which, hey, that seems pretty high. We're only at the start of February. His first transaction came in November, too. So it wasn't like it started right at the start of the season. Linus Carlson has either been sent down or. (laughs) He's either been sent down or recalled from the Abbotsford Canucks a total of 10 times this season, 10 times. And he's played four games at the NHL level.
0: So, hey, he's been cashing the checks. Like, you get paid an NHL salary when you're up here. You gotta hope he's driving in the HOV lane because that is yeah. some heavy traffic going out to Aventure, yeah. to and from.
1: So, anyways, I just wanted to bring that up. Okay, what do we have in the YouTube chat here? Let's go. Uh, okay, this one from Karan. <clears throat> Trivial question. Given... Thatcher Demko recently tied Kluche for the longest winning streak in franchise history. What was Luongo's longest? You just give us a trivia question. Karun? I don't know. What was Luongo's longest winning streak? I don't know. Grady, can you dig this up while we answer the next question? Yep. Luongo's longest winning streak. Uh, okay. This one from Jeremy Lee. Are there such thing as animosity between GMs where players are not to be traded because of bad blood? Huh? Uh, I don't know about the second part of your question, but if there's animosity among GMs, uh Yeah. Let's let's not forget the Yesberry Yemi fiasco with the offer sheet and copying the wording, folks. NHL press releases go through the GMs and or the president of hockey operations. When the Carolina Hurricanes sent an offer sheet to Jesperi, Kock, and Yemi in retaliation, quite clearly to the Canadians giving an offer sheet to. Sebastian Aho. Aho, yes, thank you. Uh, an offer sheet to Sebastian Aho, which Aho then signed, forcing the Hurricanes obviously to get their feet moving and you know up their offer to Sebastian Aho. The wording used by Mark Bergevin, who was the GM of the Canadians at the time, in the statement was: "Sebastian believes in what we're building." <clears throat> excuse me, believes in what we're building, and he's he's thrilled to sign this offer sheet or something like that. The Carolina Hurricanes then signed Kankinami in a spot where. The Habs actually wouldn't match that. They wouldn't match what the what the Canes went to. The Canes press release was word for word the same, like the same quote that Mark Bergevin game about gave about Sebastian Ajo, Don Waddell copied it, like literally word for word. Go look at it, folks. So yes, there is animosity between GMs.
2: I'll also say this: relationships matter a ton. So I did a story last year around the time of the deadline looking at how trades are negotiated and one thing that stood out from having had conversations with former gms execs, current execs, was there's an important trust level that hey if i'm let's say if i'm going to negotiate let's say me and me and quads are gms if i'm going to negotiate with you you're going to lose and you're going to Sorry. Go okay. On. Go on. okay. Go on. Okay. <laughs> uh, and you're going to leak, leak this to Elliot? Yes. I'm not, I'm not going to want to negotiate with you yeah. the next time. Yeah. You know what I mean? There has to be a, a trust level. And that's where some GMs, if they've made trades before and it doesn't get leaked, then I'm that much more comfortable calling you because I'll say this, teams don't like it. When a player is potentially being shopped, or they're just listening on a guy, yeah. and it comes and it comes out in some type of media report, because guess what, the player hears that, yeah, and the and and that potentially affects the player's confidence in the organization. E- even if it might not be a player that you're actively looking to trade, it, it might just be a player that you were listening on because the other team was calling about. Uh, so, first of all, that's important in terms of the whole leaking things to the media aspect. That that matters from a trust perspective and even just in general so many trades start with teams there's also the opposite let's say i'm i'm trying to sell a player uh let's say for whatever reason i i really want to trade this is the offseason and i want to trade brock best i'm trying to sell high but i don't want everybody to think i'm just shopping him willy-nilly If there's been a team that, or if there's been a GM that constantly calls me just to catch up, and GMs do this a lot, where, where they'll just call each other, be like, "Hey, how's your team team doing? What are you guys thinking of doing?" Just very casual conversation. If there's a team that I suspect might be interested in Besser, rather than calling up a a, a bunch of cold calling, cold calling <laughs> a bunch of teams, I may I might go to the one GM I have a great relationship with that I know is looking for a score and be like, "Hey, are you interested in, in Besser?" And that's why. There are situations where a team will quickly move to trade a guy and other teams will be upset because they're like, wait, we could have matched that offer Philip or yeah. Or Prime beat example. that offer, yep. beat that offer. But it's just, those GMs had a great relationship. They don't want this to be a whole fiasco. Mm-hmm. So it gets done. And early. with Philip
1: Horonic, the reason I bring that up is because Saravalli shared this with us before. The way that trade went down is the Canucks were interested in Hironic. Uh, They were told by Iserman of Detroit, of course, that no, he is not available. And then ahead of last year's trade deadline, Iserman calls up Jim Rutherford and says, hey, are you still interested in Iserman uh, or in Horonic? You've got 30 minutes. I'm going to go. Uh, I'm I'm not going to put him on the market if you say yes today type thing and rutherford and i don't know about the 30 minutes thing i think the the story there was that rutherford went and talked to his group and obviously they still liked heronic um and they agreed to the deal so you know there might have been a lot of teams that found themselves in that spot of saying hey we wanted a you know a first pairing right shot defenseman for a first and a second round pick like we could have matched that we could have given you more but because of those relationships and, you know, those calls where you say, hey, I'm interested in this player. Heronic's name didn't get out. So that means that the Canucks called about Heronic and his name didn't get out from anybody in those negotiations. So, hey, the relationship matters. Uh, Grady's got the – did you have anything else? No. Nope. Okay. Grady's got the streak for us. Luongo's longest winning streak. What is it?
0: It was eight games, courtesy of our pal Joey Kenward. And doing my research on the fly here – I found that in 2011, he went 16-0-5, which is a franchise record for the longest point streak. So that's 21 games. Wow. Which is pretty incredible. That's a good poll, Grady.
3: Thank
1: you. Thank you. That's great. I love it. Uh, okay. Do we have anything else here? We got a few. Um, okay. Captain Canuck. If the Canucks trade for of who comes out of the lineup assuming Susie is healthy? Okay. So when Susie was healthy, uh, Noah Juleson was out of the lineup.
2: Probably Nikita Zdorov. Probably, I was thinking about this uh the other end as well, Zadorov, I think the last couple of games where seeing him play a higher event style again right when he first got to Vancouver, it was pretty pretty calm, pretty quiet outside of the hits, right he wasn't trying to do too much offensively uh he he wasn't um you know ever really out of position. And I'm not saying that in a in a negative sense, but he just wasn't as noticeable the You watch Milan-Calgary, and he was always really noticeable noticeable for both positive and negative reasons. The game against Carolina, he's been rushing the puck a lot. And there was one play where he sort of takes it almost solo, um, takes the sharp angle shot off, um, off the mask, I think, of Kochetkov. And because now he's caught up in the play, and because the rebound took a weird hop past Joshua Stick, now Zadorov's caught and it ended up being a good chance for Carolina back the other way. Now that's not that's not a quote unquote bad play by Zadorov because he sees the opportunity to jump into the rush. But I can I could also see a scenario where the coaching staff looks at that and goes, unless you're Quinn Hughes or Filip Peronick, we don't need you jumping up the rush that actively unless it's a clear chance for like a true grade A opportunity. Because otherwise that chance against doesn't happen. So I think it would probably be Zdorov. Yeah.
1: And I, hey, you still have the option of bringing them back in too, right? Like you can, you can learn yeah, that platoon course. defense. Hey, uh, we saw Ian Cole start to get, you know, some load management, which we applauded at the time. And yeah, you, you've got options. You need depth. Like that's what Frank talked about in his said it, is you need depth. You need depth um, when you're going on a long playoff run. Because hey, if the wrong guy goes down, you know, cup favorites according to this show and then you uh you know you run some injury troubles and look it's hard to replace certain guys but at least try with some uh replacement players that you've got okay that concludes anyone else let's get to our betway bet of the day brought to you by our friends over at betway and thanks folks to everybody in the chat uh really really appreciate it um please subscribe to the youtube channel and on the podcast subscribe uh wherever you get your podcast and wherever you're listening to us as well and like the video folks we've seen some uptick in uh, people on the YouTube live show. So we appreciate it. Let's get our bet of the day up, Grady. There it is. Ugh. That's right. Hey, man, I I don't make the script and I, I, I don't get to choose where my vibes go. But today, the Dallas Stars are playing the Toronto Maple Leafs. The Toronto Maple Leafs are at home. It's second of back-to-backs. Or no, they, did they play last night? Yeah, they did. Yeah, they played the Islanders last night. Oh, no, or was two nights, was nights nice ago, ago. Two nights ago, excuse me. So the Leafs are back at home uh, for a matchup against the Dallas Stars. They're favorites, and we're taking that. A $10 bet at minus 135 odds on the Leafs to beat the Dallas Stars, returns you $17.40 over at Betway. Look, Sheldon Keefe called them out last game. I know that usually falls on deaf ears because everybody's a prima donna on that team. But I really think that they're going to step up tonight. Like, I actually think the Toronto Police are going to win against the Stars. I actually, this isn't part of the bet. I actually think they will win pretty handedly, too. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. I
0: like like the value on the stars there as an underdog. Oh, totally. It's good value. It's just not going to happen. Just like you like the Islanders value as an underdog the other day. And we should mention quads, your best bet yesterday of the Canucks beating the Canes. Van beats cars. That's right. I mean, it's
1: just, it's just, uh, it's just vibes.
0: Like I don't get to pick. I don't choose which vibes. There's no analytical formula here. Harm isn't sending you some crazy algorithm formula it's just straight off the dome straight vibe. off the dome it's all vibes wow. you know that
1: it's all vibes it's all vibes <laughs> why that, are they talking about the Leafs this is almost as bad as baseball talk yes, <laughs> yes it is <laughs> says Quran great stuff great stuff all right well we'll close it out there for my co-host Harmon Dial and our technical producer Grace Sass and our intern why did I forget that was bad Madison Buckingham. my name is David Jolly thank you so much listening to an episode of the Canucks conversation canucks conversation with harman and quads brought to you by the toyota bz4x the bz4x's fresh look is just an added bonus to its range since you can drive up to 406 kilometers on a single charge that's enough to get you from Kitsilano to whistler or Kamloops to Kelowna and back and still be home in time for the game now that's what we'd call electric the best part by choosing electric you can get up to eleven thousand dollars in rebates and incentives The BZ4X are in stock and selling quickly, so make sure to visit shoptoyota.ca or your local Pacific Toyota dealer to get your hands on one. Canucks Conversation is live Monday through Friday, every weekday at 2pm over on the Canucks Army YouTube channel. Make sure you like, subscribe, and interact in the YouTube live chat every day with us, folks.
0: Isaac Quainall, Tom Stewart. Now that KO has 4K, people will see every detail. I better wash my hair. Oh, I'll book in a spray tan. Maybe a manicure? I'm shining up my tats. Experience amazing detail with 4K. Now on KO.